I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So we've been going along in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Uh, if you were reading along with us, or like as we were reading it, right? If, or if you started like a read the Bible in a year plan or whatever, you would go through particularly Joshua and Judges and all these stories of violence and chaos and turbulence. Yeah. Right. And on a very epic level too. Oh yeah. And like like the Odyssey. (laughs) Yeah. It's like nations against nations and it's all this big picture stuff. And then Ruth is this just a very different tone. Mm -hmm. And here we have almost like a zoom in onto a family story. Uh, And I've always just kind of loved it because there is some actual romance to it, Mm -hmm. which which we didn't really see in Samson and Delilah's story. No. Even though they get all the good songs about them. They sure do. But Ruth and Boaz, it's it's it is more of a genuine. There seems to be some genuine affection. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And respect between each other, too. Yeah. They're taking care of each other a little bit. Uh, And I always used to think of it. I used to describe it sometimes as the the romantic comedy of the Bible. Uh, But I think that's. That's overplaying comedy a little bit. Sure. There is a semi-happy ending though. So maybe comedy in the Shakespearean terms. Yeah, Yeah, it is that in that it's not a, it starts in tragedy, Mm -hmm. um, which I think we just forget about that, that part of the story. I know when I was growing up in church, this was like, uh, we would always like talk about dating with this. Did you ever, did you ever have that? No, I didn't. I feel like it was held up as like the, this is what Christian dating should be, which (laughs) there's lovely components, but that is funny. Once we talk a little bit more about the contents of the story. Yeah. Cause it's essentially, you know, if something bad happens, just marry your cousin. Yes. (laughs) Which the Christian way. (laughs) Exactly. That's the biblical marriage. Um, But it, I, you know, there's that term meet cute, right? Which a lot of romantic comedies are about like that. They drop Dro- the newspapers yeah, and their yeah. hands. Were you going to say something similar? Your hands touches. Or you look up and yeah. then fall into the arms. Oh, whoops. <laughs> so that their first meeting is cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had a year where I was just trying to like go around dropping stuff. And then see <laughs> who's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they, you end up just having to yeah, and it's just a <laughs> scramble for the flyaway. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't really work out. So, uh, but this is actually, like we said, it, this is the beginning of the story is tragedy. Um, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, have both lost their husbands. And there's a lot of speculation about that. Why, why all these men dying? Like there's a chance that it was like a shipwreck situation mm. or maybe they were out oh, to at sea. the same time. Yeah, they all and, died together. And maybe that's why they're, they died together or has a result of all these wars we've seen. Sure. That maybe this is zooming in on the after effects of war. Mm-hmm. And, and the people left behind from war. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so... The, the beginning of the story is this, uh, this beautiful promise from Ruth that she's not going to leave her mother-in-law, that she's not going to go like, cause they're in a vulnerable situation with all these men gone. Remember, we've talked about this in a few stories where 
women were only really safe economically inside of a family system. Right. That if you lost your family or you lost your husband, you couldn't go work at Starbucks. You couldn't go to design school. You couldn't, you know, go become a nurse or a doctor. You couldn't go get your own career. You would have to find a family system that would take you in. And so there's this noble thing from Ruth in that she decides she's not going to go pursue her own safety. She she pledges this vow to go wherever Naomi goes, to to basically follow wherever Naomi goes, to worship whoever Naomi worships and to essentially die wherever Naomi dies. Mm-hmm. Um, so this vow has been used at weddings. I don't know if you've ever heard it read at a wedding, but no, I haven't. It's a, it's a really bold promise. It really is. That Ruth makes. Especially because Ruth doesn't have anything to gain from this at, at this point in time, from this commitment, she only has things to lose. Cause That's I, right. I imagine it would be a lot easier for her to try to look out for just herself since being, I'm sure being an older widow in a, in a different country would be incredibly, yeah. um, Incredibly challenging. Yeah. Well, and there's another daughter-in-law who does do that, who does leave them and, and kind of goes after her own survival. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's not valid way to go. Absolutely. It's just that, and I, I think sometimes having gone through loss myself, it's like, it makes sense to me that Ruth would almost cling to Naomi. You know, like if you were part of, let's say they were in a shipwreck, you would cling to the board mm. that you knew. Mm-hmm. You would cling to what felt familiar. And so I wonder, it, as noble and as brave as I think it is, I think it's also kind of a fear response. Oh, I see. <laughs> like yeah. A, like, and, and also just like a, this is the person that also understands exactly what I'm going through. Yeah. So there's all kinds of like, as much as this is like the sh- one of the shortest books and one of the shortest stories, I think there's so many levels to what's going on here. Um, I wonder when we think of this moment of loss and struggle and like clinging to something that's familiar. Uh, do you have any, do you have like a comfort breakfast that like, if you just, if you just need to feel like the world is okay for a minute, do you ever start a day with that? Yeah. My world is okay. Is um, McDonald's hash browns. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything just feels right. Everything is, everything is okay with a warm McDonald's hash brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think mine is, I think it's Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah. Like particularly the glaze with chocolate icing on it is kind of my like, yeah, it's definitely a comfort, comfort food. Is there memories associated with it or is it um, strictly just the fact that it's just something delicious and cozy and you know that it's always going to be there? Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is that my dad, ha- he actually really hated Krispy Kreme donuts, but oh. he was a big donut fan. Oh, okay. But it was kind of a point of contention because he was more into cake donuts. Oh, and you liked the, and I the liked, lighter Krispy yeah. Kreme. He would always be like, it's just like eating air. Mm-hmm. Why would you just eat air? Mm-hmm. He likes the magic air, a substantive, yeah, chocolate iced air. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's different. Um, so, but I do think also, like, I'd never, I was not a coffee drinker at all. And then I kind of started doing it when I was taking care of my parents. And it became like a, that became a part of my daily routine mm-hmm. because of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's probably lots of things like we do like that that are just us, like, holding on. And do you um, still drink? Are you still a coffee drinker? Do I do. You, and so it, it got incorporated into your routine. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. definitely associated um, with that. And so I think here we are in this moment uh, where Ruth is, is clinging, you know, she's got like her, <laughs> I was always thinking about the, 
the movies where like somebody is hanging off the side of a building and just their fingertips <laughs> like oh Naomi's the fingertips the of those <laughs> the fingertips like I think gosh. I picture Ruth kind of in this very dangerous situation and just trying to hold on to whatever she can um they are at as we said like great financial risk and so part of the story is that they need just food sources and there is this thing in the world of the Hebrew people and I don't know if it was just in the ancient world or just in the Jewish world but this idea of leaving like leaving stuff in your fields uh, for poor people to kind of come along and get extras. It's pretty beautiful. Yeah. So you would purposefully not like if you had an apple orchard, you would like purposely leave a 10th of your apples on the tree. Wow. That's pretty neat. With the understanding that people could come along and take what they needed. I mean, that was the ideal. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there were seasons where people were like, no, I got to get everything I can out of this crop. Absolutely. Uh, but that was one of the interesting. It's, it sounds like tithing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where we get some of that from mm-hmm. is that you would set aside a tenth of your of your field for mm-hmm. other people. Um, and but th- that's not like a long lasting solution. So even though they find that they that's how they kind of run into Boaz is just that he allows them. He, he sticks by this law and lets them um, glean from his field, from the scraps in the field. And that's kind of how they first meet him. And then they get this idea, like maybe he could, maybe he's marriage material. Mm. And there's this idea of a, a kinsman redeemer. Have you ever, is that, do you ever come across that? No, that not until I was revisiting yeah. this book of Ruth. Yeah. So tell it, us about kinsman redeemers. I think it's the idea. It's been a while since I paid a lot of attention to it, but I, I think it's all right there in the word. Yeah. But it's this idea of particularly for women, if you were in a vulnerable situation, you would look to family first. So instead of just going out and meeting another nice guy, you would look for family. Could you just kind of go into into an already existing family system? And then that person would be your kinsman, but also your redeemer. They would be responsible for you. They would keep you safe. Right. Um, And this is, I imagine that it's... um this is a cultural thing potentially. So maybe the the men of the family understand that this could be a responsibility to look out for vulnerable women in their family. That's right. Yeah. And you think about this, this is still going on in Jesus's time. Sometimes remember that story about the, um, is it the Sadducees? They come to Jesus and they ask him, let's say a woman was married to somebody. He dies. So she marries the brother and then that brother dies. So she marries another brother. Do you remember this? And they ask him, they ask Jesus, whose who's wife is she in heaven? Uh-huh. And what does he say? <laughs> he says, uh, that's, you don't even understand what you're asking. Okay. Like there's no. It's not like that. It's not that kind of system. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, mysterious thing from Jesus. It's like one of those things where he's, he's trying to just gently say, you don't, you don't even know. Right. Um, but just the, the setup of the question says that this kinsman redeemer thing was still happening to some degree. I see. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause they're like, of course she would marry the brother, marry the, the, brother, brother. And the brother, the yeah. brother. Mm-hmm. And so that's, what's funny about the learning dating from Ruth is just look for the closest right. richest cousin <laughs> and saddle up, you know, like uh, saddle up, <laughs> get down that aisle. Uh, and so there's this very delicate courtship between them where Ruth kind of presents herself as available to Boaz uh, in the middle of the night. It's a little bit risque. It's a little bit sexy, mm-hmm. right? It's That's why I said it's, we were talking about how a lot of in the Bible, there's not really affection or love in the marriage. It's not described as such. It really is just about 
posterity and just making babies that'll carry on Mm -hmm. the story of God. And so there's all these passages about begetting. But I've always kind of thought inside all that beginning, there had to be first kisses. There had to be, you know, late night rendezvous, right? There had to be some attraction or some like physical need for each other. And so we see this in the Ruth and Boaz story. She kind of makes herself available to him. He does this honorable thing where he checks to see if there are closer cousins. Because <laughs> <laughs> the closer the cousin, the more righteous the kinsman. Right. So, but it's kind of like a, a, a right almost. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah, it sounds like this is a, this like like we were saying, it sounds like it's a system. Yeah. And you would have expected. to honor the rules of the system. And it's and again, I think it's meant to honor everyone and, and they're they're following along in it to the ideal, um, whether or not we would look at it as a great way to survive is, sure. is, is questionable. But everybody in this story is showing faithfulness. So that's the part I love about it is not just that it's a romantic story in the midst of these less than romantic stories, but that it's it's an example of how people can actually be faithful because we don't have as many of those as you would think we would have. Right. A lot of times it's people stumbling through faithfulness. And then getting forgiven for their yeah. lack of faithfulness. Even you think about the story of Abraham, who's considered this man of great faith. He has times where he stumbles. He has times where he gets it wrong. Um, he lies. He takes things into his own hands because he doesn't trust that God's going to come through. And so here we have people who are trusting that the system is good and that, that they're acting in a faithful way. Uh, I also just love that, that even then Ruth still includes Naomi, still takes care of Naomi. Uh, even when Boaz kind of, they do like get married, they do kind of commit to each other. And Naomi is still in that, in that mix with them. Um, and I really think of it as a romance story, almost between Ruth and Naomi, mm-hmm. you know, just as much as it is between, uh, Ruth and Boaz. Yeah, especially because um, you mentioned that that covenant that the, uh, Ruth makes to Naomi is used at weddings. Right. Because it's a it's a beautiful image of unconditional love and support. Totally. Yeah. And uh, again, I know with no reward, really, um, other than just the goodness that comes from being faithful to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about breakfast. I want us to focus on Ruth and Naomi for for breakfast. Yes. Do you have any any thoughts on their morning habits? Maybe not. Habits is a good word because um, I don't know about the contents, but I do think that they ate together. I feel like that's a, a conclusion to come to based on their commitment to each other. And it yeah. seems like their um, reliance on each other for stability and normalcy after tragedy would, yeah. would make me think that they sit down and um, spend quality time together as well. Yeah. And if you think of it in like a modern kitchen sense or a home sense, I would think they would be the people who would wait for everybody to get to the table. Mm, yes. You know, and maybe in their context, they would make sure that both of them had enough. Like each would make sure that the other. Yeah. So even as of. they're like getting scraps from the field, even when they're in their like desolate, hungry days, I imagine them still watching out for each other, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's a that's a pretty great gift. But it's especially a gift when <laughs> you're in a situation where you don't know if there's enough. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of research out there about how <laughs> it's almost shaming to like to middle class folks, I think, and the upper class folks. But there's a lot of data out there about how uh, lower resource people are actually more generous Wow. Like they give away more. If you just look at like a percentage that they are more likely to be generous than people who have plenty of resources. Uh, And I always think about that 
like, especially around Christmas time when everybody's yeah. kind of looking for resources and stuff. And it's, that's kind of when, if you have enough money, you kind of wait till the end of the year right, <laughs> to see how much generosity you can afford. Right. But there's all this, this, again, I think it's, it's data that we should hear with some degree of accountability. Sure. Um, if we're people of resources that we should hear that there's a generosity to people without resources that we would be wise to follow them. I'm sure there's an additional appreciation for people who regularly lack resources too, to understand the the value of the resources that they share too, yeah. versus um, it's easy to get disassociated from how important it is to know that you can eat. That's right. Yeah. Um, we, I don't, who knows when people will listen to this. We've said that probably around the 2030s, somebody's going to find this and we're going to be ripped out of our daily lives and to, you know, on tour brought into the podcast <laughs> hall of fame and yeah we'll be advertising for all the, the things and uh but we are recording this it's almost christmas season we're bumping up into christmas season and i have this uh i always go back to this thought that you know we think of jesus's birth has certainly a miracle right and we get this idea that it's god conceived and that God kind of chooses Mary and, but we also have the inclusion of genealogies, which means that Jesus' story is not just like this starts at his conception mm-hmm. bit, but that the story of Jesus and, and particularly of Jesus as the Christ goes all the way back to these very human mm-hmm. stories. So Ruth's decision to stay by Naomi's side, to include her in her future to make sure she has breakfast to eat, um, that that is a part of maybe not Jesus's physical DNA or a little bit. I mean, yeah, that's it what is it feels like. Mary, right. But that it's also a part of how Jesus comes into the world is behind all of these stories that are both messy and beautiful. And so I always think that it's not just the incarnation and the miraculous birth are a part of the story. It's richer than that to me to know that Ruth's story is included, that Rahab's story is included, um, that it's also all these people trying to find their way is is also what leads to Jesus being in the world. Does that make sense? It does. I always think it's, especially at Christmas time, we kind of focus on the miraculous part of it. Yeah, but it's connected to human, very human stories. Yes, that those are a part of the incarnation is it does start all the way back here. And there must be meaning behind it too, because it's traced in the Bible. Right. The Bible, uh, that's something new in this Old Testament reading that I've gotten from it is they, they're constantly tying it back to Jesus' flesh and his lineage. Right. And it's, that's a big question to me. It's like, why in the world does this story survive? Mm-hmm. Um, it must've been interesting enough or compelling enough that they retained it. But then it's also... <laughs> turns out as kind of this beautiful thing that it comes to matter, you know, a couple thousand years later. Um, so I think it's a, it's a perfect season to talk about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And, um, it's like the, it's like the sleepless in Seattle, isn't sleepless in Seattle around Christmas. It's, I think so. Like, yeah, there's a plenty of crossover of like romance and holiday movies. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, um, this should be the next, the next Hallmark movie. Though I don't think they're not gritty enough to handle it. I don't think Mm-mm. they couldn't handle the, the late night, late night visits. They couldn't. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us on the breakfast translation. We hope that this Christmas season uh, is a rich one for all of you. The rock and the stone.